The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Think about grabbing one of those baptismal robes. I was feeding my son this afternoon. I was trying to feed myself with him on my lap. And I got covered. You probably can't see it that well. But if I ever show up in a clergy robe, you know why. <laughs> well, let's continue to worship our God by hearing from His Word. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21, verses 16 through 31. This afternoon, the riches of wisdom and brought out in a way that is more specific, more particular, helping us to see what wisdom looks like and what wisdom doesn't look like and how to apply God's law, what it looks like to do that. Proverbs 21, verses 16 through 31. Let's hear now the words of Christ. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. The wicked is a ransom for the righteous and the traitor for the upright. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours them. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? A false witness will perish, but the word of a man who hears will endure. A wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. This concludes the reading of God's holy word. May he now be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, in 1991, a commuter flight after leaving a Houston airport crashed with everyone on board dying. And the cause of the crash, missing screws. Missing screws, that was it. A crew had replaced a section of the tail wing. They took the old one off, put a new one on, but they forgot to put the screws on. And that single piece, or those single pieces, is what turned into a destructive site. And this illustrates the way it is with Wisdom, when it's missing, something that can be good turns into something that can be destructive. Things such as wealth, alcohol, speech, work, 
Relationships can crash and burn when wisdom is absent. Now the legalist will blame the object itself, but he fails to realize that it's not the object, but the lack of wisdom that causes destruction. And so we're going to look at seven things that become useless and even destructive without wisdom. The first is this, pleasures. But before we begin, it's a general statement in verse 16. One who wanders away from good, or I'm sorry, one who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. So the issue is wandering, moving away from, leaving the way of good sense. That is the way of wisdom. This person's encountered wisdom, says, nah, on second thought, no thank you, and leaves it. But this person will rest in the assembly of the dead. This can refer to Sheol where dead spirits depart away from the presence of the Lord. Or this can refer to somebody who settles with those who are spiritually dead, dead in their trespasses and sins, keeping company with fools, indicating that they lack wisdom. But his lack of wisdom will result in being destroyed by the things of this life. The first area we look at is pleasure, verse 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Now, pleasure is not inherently a bad thing. Psalm 16 says that in God's presence, there are pleasures forevermore. If pleasure was sinful, why would it be in heaven? The Psalms also tell us that singing to the Lord is good. Why? Because it is pleasant. And 1 Timothy 6 says, that God has given us all things to enjoy, another word of, for pleasure. So pleasure is not a bad thing in and of itself, but the proverb here warns against loving pleasure. It is when it becomes an idol, when it becomes our God, that controls our lives so that we live for it. We place our ultimate hope for happiness in it and despair and get depressed without it. Some of the pleasurable things include oil and wine. These were great luxuries that were often associated with the rich. However, the one who loves these things so that they dominate one's life will actually not be rich, but it will lead to destruction. And so someone may say, well then, it means that a wise person should just avoid these things, right? Not so. Look at verse 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So the very thing that verse 17 warns against loving that's associated with pleasure, oil being one of them, is said to be in a wise man's house. The proverb does not say that the one who is wise does not have these things but rather has them. They dwell in his house. Uh, the legalist would have it that no one has these things. Now, it might be wise for a time, for a drunkard, for example, to avoid alcohol, but ultimately the issue is found in self-control. Wisdom it's not ultimately found in avoiding these things. Wisdom is found in self-control 
so that you're not controlled by them. Because in reality, you can't avoid the, the things of this world. You can turn food into an idol. Just as much of sin as drunkenness and, and be a glutton or money. But wisdom is to have self-control rather than devouring these things as a foolish person does. Now, I read that 70% of everyone who wins the lottery goes broke in a short amount of time, relative short amount of time. And a third of those who win the lottery go bankrupt. well-known story about this is with a man named Michael Carroll, nicknamed Lotto Lout. In 2002, he was 19 years old, and he won $15.5 million in the England lottery. But he blew it all on wild living. And within a matter of a few short years, he was living off of unemployment. As the proverb says here, he devoured his riches by pursuing pleasure. However, while the wise person has pleasurable things, he has self-control so he doesn't devour them. He uses them moderately. Self-control and not legalistic asceticism is wisdom. And this is because of, the, of his heart's pursuits. Look at verse 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. So to pursue something is to go after it, to chase it, because you desire it and you want to try to obtain it, so you strive to obtain it. You know, hunting season is coming up. In fact, it is already upon us uh, for uh, bow season. And this is when we get up early and we walk for miles in pursuit of game because we desire it. This is pursuing well, the Scripture says that this should be the case when it comes to righteousness and kindness. A person who pursues righteousness and kindness rather than riches and pleasures is the one who finds life and does not come to poverty and ruin. And notice that this also says that the one who pursues righteousness will find righteousness. Now, this needs to be read in light of the rest of Scripture. This is not because he or she worked hard to be righteous in and of himself. Rather, it's because he sought it from the Lord alone. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And why is that? Because they will be filled. It's not because they sought righteousness as though it was through the law. It was the Jews' error. Rather, it was obtained through faith by simply resting on and receiving Christ and Him alone for righteousness, for justification, sanctification, and eternal life. We seek after righteousness by looking to Christ and depending upon Him alone. And then we pursue practical righteousness in our lives, pursuing holiness. Not as though it was through the law, but rather by first resting on and receiving Christ, believing that we have died with Christ, that we have been buried with Christ, that we've been raised with Christ, 
And from there, after we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, then and only then do we work at growing in the Lord. And related uh, to this is one's drive, which is the second thing that becomes useless, even destructive without wisdom. Verses 25 through 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. So the sluggard does have desire, and desire is not a bad thing. But the sluggard's desire is bad in that it is said to kill him. Why is that? Because it refuses to work. It does not produce in him a willingness to work. He craves. He craves all day long. But it does not lead to working. He wants things, but he doesn't want to work for them. He doesn't believe that he should have to. That it should just be given to him. It's an entitled spirit. He does not follow the eighth commandment, which is expressed in Ephesians 4.28, which says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the eighth commandment is not only do not steal, but rather work so that you may share. And that's exactly what a righteous person does. But in our day, the sluggard, has a very entitled spirit, is also very quick to complain, really upset when he or she doesn't get the thing that they want. The righteous one, however, as verse 26 says, gives and does not hold back. He loves to be generous. He loves to bless others. And this brings us to his character, which is the third thing that is useless and even destructive without wisdom. Verse 24, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So the Holy Spirit authoritatively assigns a name to this person. Oh, this person may assign a different name to himself. I'm great. I'm wonderful. But the Lord's word prevails. His name is called scoffer. He scoffs. That is, he mockingly laughs at submitting to God's authority and word. He is like Pharaoh who said to Moses, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? And notice all the terms used in this verse to refer to pride. Arrogant, haughty, acts with arrogant pride. This is his foremost characteristic. Pride. He exalts himself above all others, glorifies himself, is right in his own eyes, does not submit to authority, counsel, correction, and depends upon himself. So verse 29 says of him, a wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright give thought to his ways. Now a bold face refers to somebody who's not hiding in shame, not blushing. He is emboldened in his sin, for he's hard-hearted and does not blush at it. However, the opposite is true of the upright, that is the righteous who walk in integrity. They are said to give thought to their ways. Now, there's actually a variable reading that I think is uh, correct. And that variable reading here is he establishes or is secure in his way. And so what this is saying is the wicked one who is bold in his sin thinks that he's secure in his way. But it's actually the righteous 
who are truly on the secure way. The path of righteousness following God's word does not end in destruction, but eternal life. But while the wicked's life will not be useful to them, it will be useful for the righteous. Verse 18, the wicked is a ransom for the righteous and the traitor or the upright. Now this is kind of a strange statement. In what sense can a sinner be a ransom for another man? Especially when it's the wicked who's a ransom for the righteous, rather than what we see in the gospel, the righteous one, Christ, is a ransom for wicked. Well, here ransom is used in a broader sense of replacement or substitute or even a diversion. Instead of the righteous dying, the wicked will die while the righteous will be protected. The wicked come into the stead of the righteous when he faces the trouble that he would have inflicted on the righteous. The wicked, the wickedness that the wicked intended for the righteous one can even end up falling on his own head like Haman who ended up getting killed on the gallows that were built for Mordecai. Now, a wicked person can actually be religious even, which is the fourth thing that is useless and even destructive without wisdom, that is religion. Look at verse 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? Isn't this interesting? The wicked bring sacrifices. The wicked can be religious. The sacrifice of the wicked, though, is an abomination because he does not offer it from a heart of faith to the glory of God. As Romans 14 says, whatever is not done from faith, from resting on and receiving Christ, is sin. But it's even worse when he does it with evil intentions. And so we notice a distinction here. It's worse if he does it with evil intentions, which means he can do it with not so seemingly evil intentions. Maybe he even thinks he's being sincere. He's, he's trying to do the right thing and offering it up according to the exact rules. And so professing believers can say the right things, outwardly do the right things, have the right doctrine, go through the motions. However, their worship is an abomination to the Lord, even though it may be well-meaning because it's not done in Christ. In fact, they may be even doing it in order to establish their own righteousness. They are really good legalists and rule-keeping Pharisees, but do not have a true heart of faith. That is why we must be relying on Christ, trusting Him, knowing Him, knowing that we do not have any righteousness of our own. Even trying not to be a Pharisee. We can't do that on our own. We must look to Christ simply. Trust Him. Hunger for righteousness in Him. Now a fifth thing that is useless and even destructive without wisdom is marriage. Look at verse 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Now this come up several times in Proverbs as recently as verse 9. Now, obviously, it can go both ways where a husband can make a marriage miserable. Uh, and you may be wondering, well, why does it always seem to say uh, foolish woman or wife? 
Well, a foolish husband is covered under all the statements about a fool, an arrogant man. He affects more than his own household, but many others in society. Uh, back in that day, a woman's primary role was being a wife and working at home. And they would have a business. And back in that day, a business was actually ran out of somebody's home. And so she would be involved in that. And so the person she primarily affects is her husband. And she can affect him greatly. So it's, it's the same foolishness that's in a man, just in a woman in her home. And this is what how she affects that. This verse says that it's better to live in a desert land, a wilderness, a wasteland, than with a quarrelsome woman. It's better to live in a place where there is no one at all, isolated from all society and people, living completely alone by yourself in a hostile and unsustainable habitation where sustenance is lacking and the conditions are miserable, dry and hot, than with a quarrelsome woman. Now, this is an angry and bitter woman who is often frazzled and upset. She is uh, always complaining about something, pointing out her husband's fault, chiding him, constantly critical of him, putting him under a covenant of works. And of course, men can do this just as equally the relationship with her is one of the ministry of the law, where she primarily points out faults, expresses wrath, is never satisfied, and will not love until you have achieved her righteous requirements. She is not like the ministry of the gospel, where she is like Christ, having a gentle and lowly, meek and quiet spirit, and where she is gracious and able to overlook faults and cover a multitude of sins. Therefore, she is overbearing, burdensome, and makes life miserable. It's better to live in the place associated with the curse, the wilderness, than under a roof with her. So both husband and wife need to understand how miserable they can make others in their household. And so rather than seeking to justify oneself and blame shift, we need to be immersed in the gospel and the knowledge of the glory of Christ so that we acknowledge our sin. You wanna, one of the greatest ways to resolve marriage conflict, and correct me if I'm wrong, is confess your own sin. Look, rather than focusing on the other person's sin, start by taking the log out of your own eye. Confessing your own sin thinking, how have I contributed to the difficulty here? And you will find, really, um, your, your, yourself blessed. Of course, there's circumstances where that's not always the case. There's some really difficult circumstances that really are the exception rather than the rule. But normal, in every marriage, there's two sinners that come together. And really acknowledging our sin, reflecting that same gentleness and meekness of Christ, and seeking to serve rather than be served uh, is how we not only bless others, but find our, ourselves blessed well. A sixth thing that becomes useless and even destructive without wisdom is one's mouth. Verse 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. The mouth has come up many times in Proverbs. Our speech can be a wonderful thing. It can build people up. It can encourage them. It can put wind in their sails. 
it could lift up somebody who is weary. But it can also be a destructive thing when wisdom is absent. Wisdom is to exercise self-control and to be careful with what we say. To not say the first thing that comes to mind. But to be silent until we've maybe thought about it. It's not to talk so much, but to use our ears more than our mouth. This keeps a person out of trouble. Saying things that might offend somebody, break the relationship, strain it, lose trust and credibility that's hard to regain, and face a myriad of other consequences. A seventh and final thing that is useless and even destructive without wisdom is power. Verse 22, a wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. I want you to notice it does not say a strong or powerful man scales a city. Rather, it says a wise man scales the city. It is by wisdom that one can engage in battle and win wars. Wisdom is greater than the greatest strength. It is like the well-known Trojan horse where people were able to get through a stronghold and hiding in this structure. Without wisdom, strength is useless. It can even be destructive, like a raging madman or shooting at Tannerite from a close distance. I know some of you who have done that. I'm not, I'm not, not going to be looking at anyone in particular, but actually, I wish I was there for that, really. I wish I known you guys but ultimately, the outcome belongs to the Lord. Verses 30 through 31. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Wisdom may be a very powerful thing, greater than the greatest earthly strength, but it will not prevail against the Lord. God is infinite in wisdom. He is wisdom itself. God's existence is outside of time. So he has his whole existence at once, eternally, not in part, stretched out through duration. He does not learn anything. Our God is uninformed, untaught, and uneducated. Nobody's taught him anything. Nobody's informed him so that he learns. And because he is sovereign, one may go to battle and prepare adequately as they should, but the victory belongs to the Lord. He is the one who determines the outcome ultimately. And so may we trust Him that He is working out all things according to our good, according to His own sovereign and mysterious purposes. If God is for us, who can be against us? Our God is sovereign and good and all wise. Evil men may flourish, we seem to, but they are not prevailing against the Lord. No one can prevail against Him. So we trust Him without first understanding, knowing that He is all wise, all good, and all powerful, and that the Lord has given us the victory. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us because He conquered sin, death, and the devil, and His death and burial and resurrection, and we have His resurrected life. We are seated with Him in the heavenly places and He will come again to judge the living and the dead and His kingdom will have no end and we who have trusted in Him will be welcomed forever into His kingdom.
Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to believe these things and that we would apply the wisdom of your word to our lives, knowing that your word is good. There's no unrighteousness in it at all. Help us to trust, to believe, and to obey your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.